Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm so glad you chose to join us. I think we're in for a delightful episode tonight. The topic tonight, the evolutionary empath. And our guest tonight is Stephanie Redfeather. We're going to bring Stephanie on in just a bit, but um, I wanted to talk about the notion of uh, karmic tsunamis, the notion of um, extreme upheaval of the collective consciousness, the notion of that circus, or um, maybe it's even more chaotic than a circus, that you might notice if you look out your window or watch the the media. (laughs) We're certainly living in a time with um, a lot of upheaval, a lot of uh, stirring up, if you will, of the of the shadow side of our humanity, really. And if we don't learn how to set an anchor for ourselves, to stay grounded for ourselves, it can be very difficult for us to navigate just everyday life, really. Um, It seems like some of the chaos or the turmoil that's happening in the collective consciousness, um, I mean, we see it when we go out in public. We see it in the grocery store. We see it on the news. We hear it on the radio. We, We hear about it when we talk to friends and family. So it's I think it's really kind of popped its head up, if you will, in every nook and cranny of our everyday living. It's it's not something that's happening over there. It's more or less front and center for all of us. And not only do I like the topic of tonight's show to, to delve into the the heart of how that can impact us. But I just wanted to um, remind people that we're a a soul having a human experience. We are a, a soul that has chosen to come here at this time. Our soul saw this karmic tsunami as an opportunity. I know, I know. What was the soul thinking? Maybe it was having a bad day or ate too much of that gas station sushi. But we chose. We chose to come here in the storm. We chose to come here during the the great evolution of humanity, if you will. And sometimes we can lose sight of that. If we stay in our minds and and worry and fret about um, what the collective consciousness is showing us, we can more or less um, tip the wagon over as far as um, staying focused on our life purpose, staying centered in our own persona, 
staying grounded in our bodies, um, anchored in the truth that as a soul, we're going to make it through this regardless of what happens. The continuity of our consciousness is assured. We're all safe. Our egos might suffer their demise, but the continuity of our consciousness is assured. So when you see the chaos in the world today, take a step back and maybe take three or four more steps back and look at it as an opportunity to become a a very skilled soul with with a wonderful opportunity to master the art of finding the love within your own persona in the karmic tsunami, in the the darkest of the dark. A calm sea has never made a skilled sailor. A planet of bliss has never made a skilled soul when it comes to navigating the, the challenges of the shadow side of humanity. Well, enough about that. I think I think tonight's episode is going to be spot on. I'm very excited for this conversation. Again, the topic is, it's actually the name of Stephanie's new book, The Evol- Evolutionary Empath, A Practical Guide for Heart-Centered Consciousness. And again, our guest is Stephanie Redfeather. As an empath herself, Stephanie Redfeather has experienced firsthand the challenges of being extremely sensitive to subtle energies and the emotions of others. She knows that it it can be overwhelming and cause you to lose yourself and doubt who you are. With this hands-on guide, For anyone who's ever felt out of place because of their sensitivity, Stephanie offers advice on how to manage life's difficulties as an empath, as well as insight into how these qualities are vitally important to the future of humanity. Please join me in welcoming Stephanie to the show. Stephanie, I'm so delighted to have you on the show tonight. I am delighted as well. Thank you, Les. Well, in the introduction, it says challenges of being extremely sensitive to subtle energies. What about being sensitive to tsunami? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of implied. If you're sensitive to the <laughs> the subtle stuff, then you're sensitive to the overt stuff. <laughs> right. Well, you know, in the, um, I guess I would call it the metaphysical community, sometimes terms come up, new phrases that people might not have heard before. And uh, we're going to be talk about um, empathic attributes. Let's start off with a definition of what is it we're talking about when we talk about being an empath? Yes. Well, and what I can 
start off telling you is that when I sat down to write this book, my spirit guides gave me only one directive, and that was to create a definition. Uh, so, of course, you know, no pressure. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's a term that's been around, like you said, in um, spiritual circles, consciousness circles for many decades. People in general know what it means to be an empath, but I've never seen anybody get granular on really breaking down exactly what it means. And so in my book, I actually spend two whole chapters talking about it. Uh, and so one of the pieces that's kind of the meatiest and the easiest to, to share that people can grab onto are what I call the five distinct qualities of an empath. So I'll, I'll go ahead and share those if that's all right. Sure. Okay. So these all fall on a sliding scale, by the way. I'll just preface that, you know. So if you're, if you're listening and, you know, you're going, well, check, check. Hmm, not sure about that one. Not sure about that one. You know, there, there's no prescribed amount of qualities that make, makes a person an empath or not or a prescribed um, level of expression or not. So I trust each person's inner knowing to just listen to how this definition or how these qualities land for them and just go, yes, that, that speaks as truth to me. So the first quality of an empath is our ability to merge with and absorb the energy of other beings, and that's people, animals, anything with life force. And that stems from a very open personal energy field. And so this is the quality that can also cause us to unconsciously take on other people's emotions and problems and to struggle with boundaries. The second quality is that we have a highly sensitive nervous system. And so this might sound a little bit like, well, duh, you know, nervous systems are supposed to be sensitive, but as empaths, we usually show up with um, our volume kind of turned up to 200 instead of 100. And so it makes us very prone to overwhelm and overstimulation, which means that extra vigilant self-care for empaths is, is a must. The third quality is our great sensitivity to the energies around us and an ability to perceive or access subtle information stored in the energy field of all types of life forms. And so this is the quality that makes uh, so many of us uh, able to tune into the unseen realms of spirit. So this could be uh, people who are mediums or just we have wicked intuition or medical intuitives or Akashic record readers, people who can see the dead or angels or apparitions or have paranormal experiences or animal communicators, et cetera, et cetera. The fourth quality, um, the pre it's the, the fourth quality is the premium that we place on peace and harmony and that is in our relationships, our environment, and our own energy field. And so when we're unconscious that we are this way, we can tend to be doormat and uh, not stand up for ourselves and acquiesce to everybody else's needs because we'll do anything to keep the peace. Our fifth quality is big open hearts and a desire to serve others. And so this can make us inclined towards careers focused on service. You know, like so many people in my tribe are uh, massage therapists, energy healers, nurses, therapists, etc. But, you know, I was in the Air Force for 10 years. So clearly there are closet empaths that are, you know, bankers <laughs> and lawyers and engineers and factory workers and, you know, that sort of thing. And so this uh, big open heart and desire to serve others also, if we're not careful, can 
cause us to overgive and put ourselves last on the list. And so those are the five qualities of an empath. Well, you, um, I like how you've laid that out. And as you were describing those, I, I was thinking about when people that you interact with, maybe your spouse, maybe people at work, um, where they can be empathic, but yet they they're not aware of it. Um, um, how does how does empathic uh, attributes perhaps? Um, uh, all your examples were first person, but um, when we go to interact with other people, how can mm-hmm. empathic um, attributes in the people we're interacting with that may not be conscious about that? Yeah. How can we recognize uh, an empathic um, response or behavior attribute in others that might help us understand the why of the way they are? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a couple things I want to say about that. And the, and the first thing is, because this is just how it works in human development, we are unconscious of equality until we are conscious of it. <laughs> and so... When we don't know we're an empath, our experiences tend to be lived from the unhealthy side of these qualities. And so that can look like codependence, taking on everybody else's emotions and problems and thinking they're your own, getting easily overwhelmed and overstimulated, Um, you know, having great sensitivity to environmental things like light and noise and sound. Um, being overly emotional, et cetera, et cetera. So these are things that you might notice in someone around you, you know, kids, friends, employers, employees, you know, whatever. Um, But empaths tend to just, um, you know, if you could just imagine turning the volume of the world up double, and then how you would feel about that. It'd be like, oh, my God, this is really noisy or this is really bright or this is really, you know, overstimulating. It's, you know, that's, that's in a way, this is kind of a vast generalization, but in a way that is, that is how it feels to be an empath. We feel many things very, very acutely. And, you know, our superpower is blending and merging with other people. So it's easy for us to feel what everybody else feels, more than just empathy, more than just, oh, I see your point of view. We can, we can pluck ourselves out of our own center and drop our anchor in another person and live our lives from their point of view, which is kind of another term for codependence, you know, or, or losing ourselves right. in relationships. So. Well, I, I like that. Um, Losing ourselves in our relationships. So if perhaps you're an uh, empath and maybe not aware of it and you're totally tuned into your spouse's behavior and and there's often a notion of um, keeping people happy. You know, sometimes I hear 
young couples that are engaged to be married, and uh, they'll say, well, they make me so happy, and I just want to pound my head on the desk and say, well, you know, if they're responsible for your happiness, they're also responsible for your sadness. And the notion of an empath is if we're tuned in to our spouse and we've and we're writing their every feeling, and whenever they slip into not feeling so good, we perhaps kick into a a reactive pattern of taking on how they feel and trying to fix it or trying to regulate their feelings so they don't ever feel bad. But oftentimes... um, like if we've been through something traumatic, the loss of a loved one or something, we need to cry it out. We need to feel terrible. We need to kind of um, have some upheaval and, and release some of that grief and anguish. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a codependent kind of behavior, it can be tough, I would suspect, to let go of, trying to manage those feelings and let them kind of run amok. I mean, mm-hmm. how, how do you see the the shadow side, if you will, of trying to manage that, you know, that codependent or the um, that kind of a behavior? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's tricky because so many of us are born naturally tuned into everything else around us. So, you know, if our superpower is blending and merging with other life forms, then, you know, the opposite end of that spectrum is one of our biggest challenges, which is discerning who we are and figuring out where we end and the next person begins and and staying grounded in our own sovereign throne and ruling our kingdom from within ourselves as opposed to just jumping out and merging immediately with somebody else. And so the, the first step of, of any kind of change is always awareness. You, you can't change a thing until you recognize and acknowledge what it is. And it can be tricky for empaths because we have no other frame of reference a lot of times. That's just how we came into the world. And so it can be a slap, you know, like just this abrupt sort of, oh, my God, to go, wow, I, I, can, I can live inside my own energy. I can, I can care for myself. I can not be responsible for you. You know, it can, it can just be confounding right, yeah. in the beginning to, to even recognize that and start to shift our patterns. So that, that is one of our main challenges and um, where we, a lot of us need to beef up our toolbox because otherwise we will stay codependent. Um, You know, we tend to be other focused in some way or another. And then just, you know, add on top of that programming that we get for how women are supposed to act, how men are supposed to act, people in certain cultures. You know, a lot of times there can be multiple layers that um, compound that codependent behavior. Right. Well, and if I'm totally honed in on how somebody else feels and I'm I'm consciously or subconsciously vested in uh, keeping a happy household, so to speak, 
Um, and then the the notion that came to me during that conversation was my, my own my own issues, my own perhaps shadow side, my own um, uh, issues to resolve. If if as a sensitive empath, I'm I'm codependently trying to manage the the feelings and emotions of my spouse to keep keep an equilibrium, if you will, and I'm ignoring my own um, shadow self. Because, you know, mm-hmm. in my family of origin, in my, in my family, anger was decisive because my dad was a very intense uh, World War II vet. And I learned very, very young as a child that if I showed anger, I was rolling the dice for the whole family. In that, if I were to stir up my dad's anger, everybody would try to become invisible. Mm-hmm. And and so when I look at the empathic codependency environment, if there's if there's something within our own persona, because a lot of times dis-ease is a uh, is um, multiple suppressed um, mm-hmm. issues that we haven't gotten to. It, yeah. it seems counterproductive for an empath to let go of the reins and kind of let it um, uh, let the turmoil or the tempest unravel. I, that can be a, a scary thing to do. Well, uh, what would you say to um, to help people understand how letting go of that that tight grip control of keeping everybody happy. I mean, how, what would you say to that? Yeah. Well, first of all, nobody's going to change until the motivation is strong enough that the risk of the unknown basically overpowers the the safety of the known. And so, you know, sometimes that can just be a growing sense of dissatisfaction uh, of, of, you know, a lot of times the way this happens is it's an internal force, an internal voice. It could be a wounded child part. It could be our heart screaming, trying to get our attention, saying, you, you know, you've lost, you've strayed from your authentic self. You're, you're dying inside because you're not loving yourself. You're not caring for yourself. Your, your body is, becoming more toxic because you're not dealing with um, these unresolved issues. And, you know, we, we're Our psyches are amazing. We can repress and deny and ignore that stuff for decades and maybe even our whole life, you know, so really it, it depends on when a person is ready to do that inner work. Uh, and sometimes the inner work, if you will, the call to do the inner work just, grabs us by the throat and slams us down, you know, sometimes people will manifest a life crisis where they have no choice but to um, take a look at what isn't working and make new choices. You know, unfortunately, a big paradigm, at least in our country or the Western world, I don't know about the whole world, is um, 
that our, our change and growth has to happen through chaos and trauma and drama. Right. Well, the, I mean, so do you think that empathic behavior can be picked up in the, in the, in the family? Like if, if mom is uh, empath and she's trying to keep the whole household from, from tipping over um, so, so nobody rocks the boat too much, and then you grow up in that environment, and there's there's never been a um, where you know how everything is managed and controlled, mm-hmm. and there's never been the ability for people to to show their uh, shadow side, if you will, kind of a mm-hmm. white picket fence type of uh, mindset. Mm-hmm. How is a, as an adult empath, how do we know, how do we know if if we're suppressing or perhaps how much we're suppressing within our own psyche if we've been uh, um, regulating it the whole time because we're hypersensitive to it? Yeah. Um, I, what I first want to do is distinguish a couple of things. So, so my belief is that empath, being empathic, showing up in our body with this set of unique sensitivities is a choice that we make at a soul level. So I sort of equate it to personality traits, if you will, that um, through our life choices and life experiences, we can choose to turn on or suppress, you know, because there's a lot of people who are empaths that, completely suppressed or have cut themselves off in those qualities. So there's, there's the empath piece and then there's coping mechanisms. So all of us as children in response to the messaging we received um, and what we internalized from our parents and school and society and the coping mechanisms that we constructed and the strategies to be able to survive uh, in our families or get our needs met, though that's separate from being an empath, but yet they can amplify each other at times. You know, so I, um, I in my book, I interview uh, a lot of different people and have their personal stories. And so one woman talks about how she is an empath, but also when she was young, uh, her mom was always um, sick or sickly depressed kind of narcissistic, you know, so she was always managing her mom's reaction, you know, and suppressing her own self and bending herself around what was going on in the house to make sure that she either didn't incite the wrong thing or, you know, whatever. Um, And so, you know, again, it's, it's just a matter of consciousness. Every single human being has these coping strategies, and we might go our entire lives using them, not aware of them, maybe no interest in exploring them further. Um, you know, so I think it's, it's not so much a question of how do we know if we're employing these. It's Am I breathing? Hmm, yes, I probably have some coping mechanisms and strategies <laughs> that I'm employing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, uh, um, I think uh, so much of humanity has so many more, 
I guess I'm going to use the word issues, but um, this can be a tough planet to live on. I mean, um, life can be very hard here. There's a, a vast element of humanity that really struggles with just breaking even, mm-hmm. just finding their own equilibrium. And many people don't ever get to that point. How do uh, how do we know how we're doing? I mean, what's the measuring stick that says, um, you know, we're in the realm of of a decent, healthy environment, or or we're not even close to it? Because if we're raised in a dynamic that is so far off kilter. We might not have ever had a, a healthy environment modeled for us, or yeah. at least been able to witness on a daily, intimate level. I mean, how, what kind of a measuring stick? I mean, how can we tell um, if we're a healthy empath or if we're um, way off in the weeds? Mm-hmm. Well, in general, I, I would say use your heart as a compass, you know, and, and look at life circumstances and how you feel as a general rule of thumb. Like what are the predominant emotions? Are you constantly stressed? Are you always fighting with somebody? Are you always yelling? Do you feel like you live in chaos? Is there always something wrong or a crisis, you know, those sorts of things. If that's your predominant experience, then that might, you know, be a clue that that there are some imbalances within me or some dysfunction or some um, uh, unresolved traumas um, that are perpetuating this experience of sadness. Fear, anger, disappointment, abandonment, you know, whatever whatever that is for you. Right. Well, when you talk about those attributes, uh, anger, fear, disappointment, um, when, when there's been a consequence or perhaps a very negative consequence to, like for my example, anger, um, mm-hmm. how do you how do you heal your relationship with what you've been avoiding, if you will? Mm-hmm. Well, again, the first step is always acknowledging it. Um, you know, for me, anger was the emotion that was hardest for me to express and recognize when it was happening. Um, so part of that was modeling that I learned from my mother. Part of that was Um, the collective expectation that still exists for women, you know, that you're supposed to be nice and pleasant and, you know, not be angry or volatile. Um, You know, so it's, um, there's, there's always shadow, you know, the simple definition of shadow is the disowned unloved parts of ourselves. And so as we were growing up, we made unconscious decisions based on uh, the experimentation of, <laughs> well, let me try this. Ooh, that was not met with a, a good, uh, you know, response from mom and dad. Let me try this behavior instead. Oh, okay, they like that. 
you know, so we, we cleave off different parts of ourselves and we send them to the subconscious. We send them to the shadow where, make no mistake, they are still seeking expression. When we ignore or suppress or deny, we don't make it go away. It's, uh, Debbie Ford talked about how our shadow was like trying to hold beach balls under the water. And you can only hold so many, and it takes a lot of effort. And as soon as you lose focus, one of them comes shooting up, and it's like, son of a brother, you know, somebody, you know, I didn't want, didn't want you to see that, you know. Um, but, but what I've found, and, and it, takes, uh, it takes a lot of courage, you know, so I understand being in the space where, where you're fearful of, of going there. But when you can acknowledge your shadow, when you can heal it and, and bring it back into the fold, that is what creates wholeness. And that is what also gives us the strength and stability to, to stand firmly in our center because the more of our shadow we heal, the less anybody can hold over us, if you will. There's no secret. There's no, you know, it's just I I am here and I acknowledge all parts of me. And it's a very empowering um, way to live, but it, it takes you to some very scary places to work through that stuff, to come face to face with those things you don't want to see or don't want to own. Well, that's a that's a very powerful point in that um, those beach balls. I love I love the visual mm-hmm. of the beach ball underwater, but mm-hmm. it, if there's these core elements that we're avoiding at all costs that we're trying to keep suppressed underwater, and uh, we're 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 kind of not only holding it underwater, but we're holding ourselves captive. Uh, I like what you said in that there's there's freedom that happens when we can turn and face those shadow sides of ourselves. Because if we haven't had any skill or experience with them, and we see them as scary and intimidating, we'll change our behavior to avoid encountering those kind of things. And so we're not really um, free to ourselves. We're not, we don't have a really authentic, genuine sense of freedom if there's aspects of ourselves we're avoiding. And also mm-hmm. others can use that as a fulcrum to push us around as well. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also a reason, you know, that there are so many addictions because, you know, as one of my mentors said, you know, if you if you can't uh, acknowledge what the shadow pieces are, then, you know, the addiction, you have to go into addiction to be able to ignore and suppress those things you want to see, you know, whether it's, whether it's alcohol, sex, food, etc. Right. And the more you avoid it, the bigger it gets. And so the mm-hmm. harder the addiction, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Well, then, so if we, if we look at this from the perspective of a relationship, I know in, in Chapter 10, 
You talk about embracing the divine masculine and feminine as conscious, Mm -hmm. equal partners. How do you... Um, how do you how do find you do that? that? Because, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking because some men are very feminine and some women are very masculine, and, and that's a genuine, authentic aspect of themselves. So when you look at conscious equal partners, that perhaps the old school or the, the, the knee-jerk reaction is, well, the woman is the feminine and the, the man is the masculine, mm-hmm. Or or whatever partners play in those quote roles in in mm-hmm. any any uh, possible combination. How do you know that you're playing that the the role you're playing is is genuinely authentic for you? And what if even between the both of you, you don't have a, a representation, if you will, of a masculine attribute and and you're perhaps both feminine and or both masculine and and um, so it might be a struggle to fill the void if you will mhm yeah so there's there's a lot to unpack here, and the first thing I want to say is that no matter what body you're born into, we all have masculine qualities and feminine qualities. So at this point, I'm talking about archetypes. I'm not talking about genders. I'm talking about a set of qualities. And so, you know, very, very briefly, the feminine energies, um, which are associated with the right brain and the left side of the body, are intuition, creativity, receptivity, um, compassion, nurturing, uh, cooperation, those sorts of things. And so if you boil the feminine essence down to sort of one quality, if you will, the feminine is the receiving principle. So on the other hand, the masculine, which is associated with the left brain and the right side of the body, is the action principle. It is about doing. So it's a lot more, you know, if you think of the left brain qualities, much more linear, logical, practical, um, you know, and, and boiling it down to its essence, the masculine principle is about action. So you can think of it as the masculine is outward pointing, the feminine is inward directed, the masculine is more about the head, the feminine is more about the heart. Um, so in my book, I go into a much greater detail. So what it, what it means to be in conscious equal partnership first is about reconciling that relationship within yourself. So before we can take it into relationship with another human, we need to understand how it is at work within ourselves. And I can give a a brief example just from my own life. I was a very intuitive, creative child. I went to a creative and performing arts school, like the TV show Fame, if anybody remembers that. Um, and then as I started getting into my teenage years, uh, my feminine self started feeling unsafe in the world. And so my masculine self came in to the best of his ability and said, I'll save you, and took her and put her in a box and put her away for safekeeping. And so that is how I ended up making the decision to get a degree in applied mathematics and become an officer in the Air Force. <laughs> You know, so I clearly 
you know, abandoned my feminine side in favor of the masculine. And there's, you know, of course, many complex layers of, of all of that. And so when my spiritual awakening began, a big piece of it was reclaiming my feminine self. And so the conscious equal partnership does not equate to 50-50. It doesn't mean 50% of the time one is speaking and 50% of the time the other is speaking. It means that they relate to each other as equals, you know. So in the patriarchal society that we live in, part of that definition is all things masculine, you know, the, the again, the archetype, but then it gets projected onto the male gender. Those are the things that are valued, the left brain qualities, what you can prove, you know, productivity, how much can you produce and accumulate, and, and it's the doingness. And so by definition then, the feminine is devalued. So the sensitivity, the subtler realms, the intuition, the creativity, those things are less valued. And so restoring the sacred marriage, as it's called, within yourself is really about bringing your own inner masculine and feminine to a place where they are in relationship with one another and they respect one another because they're completely different sets of qualities you know there are times when when you need those masculine qualities and there are times when you need those feminine qualities so it's not one better than the other it's the two respecting and honoring each other within you right i like that and and both partners have uh, the masculine and the feminine um, mm-hmm. and, they, and like you said, they respect and and balance each other out very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, and it um, shifts when when I just want to say if I could when you when you come please. from that place and then take it into relationship with another, the motivation and and the way the relationship manifests itself is completely different because you're no longer looking for the other person to quote complete you you know that romantic aspect of you complete me you know all that that means is there's a part of myself that I have denied or repressed and I've projected it onto you (laughs) and so you need to fulfill (laughs) that for me because I can't allow that to express in me when you can show up in relationship in greater balance within yourself, and it can take you to a whole different level of, of relationship with the other human. Well, and, you know, I mean, how often are we attracted to um, our spouse in our, in our youth? I mean, people might meet in college or whatnot and get married and heaven knows um, college isn't the end of the road as far as learning about yourself. <laughs> when, uh, mm-hmm. So, for, uh, for example, the example you gave with yourself, um, putting your feminine in a box, so to speak, and, and taking on the, these masculine attributes, and then fast forward. And just as an example, I'm not pretending to know uh, your scenario, but as an example, you fast forward a few decades and then you get to the point where you decide to work on yourself and, and the spouse as well and, and you want to evolve and heal together as a couple, well, that means um, you're kind of changing your own um, personality, if you will, by allowing this feminine attribute out of the box, so to speak. 
Mm-hmm. When when the roles change, so to speak, how do you? Um, what advice would you give to navigate that? I mean, because you're you're more or less morphing into a different person because you're bringing this this suppressed aspect of yourself into the dynamic of the household and the day in and day out behavior might be pretty rigid and routine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I don't have statistics, but I can tell you that um, a lot of marriages and relationships don't survive a spiritual awakening, if you will, whatever you want to call it. You know, when, when right. someone goes through serious transformation and does their inner work, um, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I'm not a personal believer until death do us part. I believe we have soul contracts where we come together for a reason or a season. Sometimes that's lifelong and sometimes it's not. Um, but my, my biggest piece of advice would be talk, communicate, share what you're feeling, share what you're scared of, because if there is no communicating while it's going to happen, then things are just going to build up and build up and and explode. And that rarely turns out well. Right. And maybe perhaps own how you feel and don't project Mm -hmm. it on them. Mm -hmm. And, and, And don't take on how they feel. It, you know, it's, it's kind of a um, chicken and an egg thing because if you have triggers because there's aspects of yourself you're posturing with and a teacher comes up, oh, I, wait, I mean a spouse comes up to teach you your triggers and they trigger you, we, you can get lost in the idea that, well, you mm-hmm. make me feel this way. You, right. you make me... You make me feel, uh-huh. and that that sentence can't be right because feelings come from within us. It's, so to mm-hmm. so to own your own feelings and say, what is it about this that makes me feel absolutely? Yeah, and likewise yeah, with and the other. That, 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 then it's not a so much a personal. Um, it doesn't feel like it's it's a, a, a personal. I don't know if attacks a word or you know you're responsible mm-hmm. for me in a in a mm-hmm. messed up way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and those are skills. I mean, it. Most people have to be taught that, especially when you're in a heightened, triggered environment where, you know, all of your normal sort of daily functioning goes out the window (laughs) and you're just in this emotional soup, you know, a lot of us are not taught those skills. That's why we go to marriage counselors or, you know, our shamans and our energy healers and those sorts of people to help give us those perspective and, and teach us those skills so that we can navigate those kinds of um, shifts in relationships. Yeah, and if we haven't allowed ourselves to feel that, we can feel very, very raw and vulnerable, and it's it's mm-hmm. hard to own that sometimes. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, when we talk about 
uh, your book. I'm holding it in my hands as we speak. What a wonderful book, by the way. I think it's Thank very you. well written. I, I definitely recommend it. But I'm looking at the second word in the title, evolutionary, the evolutionary mm-hmm. empath. Where is the empath evolving to? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I have a chapter in the book that's a little different than the others. It's, I throw a little science in there, kind of show my geeky side. But, you know, I part of what I am doing, uh, I feel like one of the gifts I bring to the world is context. And so I'm, I'm pulling back out to the biggest picture perspective possible. And what I share is this concept of the great year, which is a 24,000-year cycle. Some say it's 26,000. There's a reason for the discrepancy. So whatever you know, number you subscribe to is fine. Um, but if you're familiar with the Greek ages, the uh, Iron Age, Bronze Age, Silver Age, Golden Age, the those ages are breakdowns of that 24,000 year period. And so what that goal, uh, excuse me, what that great year signifies is a cyclical rise and fall of human consciousness and human civilization goes along with that. And so for 12,000 of those years, we're rising in consciousness for 12,000 of those years, we're lowering in consciousness or, or approaching more ignorance, if you will. And so, um, there's no one um, ancient text you can go to that's going to tell you precisely where we are in that cycle because part of what happens as we devolve is we start to doubt uh, and uh, become uh, skeptical of our of our wisdom texts and wisdom keepers, and so a lot of those things get destroyed. <laughs> But in general, most of those scholars, most of those ancient wisdom texts agree that we are out of the Iron Age and into the Bronze Age. So we are are out of the darkest point, the lowest point of our vibrational state, if you will, the lowest point of our ignorance. And we are in a cycle of ascending consciousness and raising in vibration. And so the word evolutionary in the title points to what we talked about at the beginning that, uh, you know, I think before the show started, we were chatting and that, you know, I believe that empaths are here to help humanity evolve to the next level of consciousness, that we are the new human blueprint. We are the, the way showers. Um, you know, it, those of us who are incarnating right now and who have been in the last hundred years, we are collectively the empathic big bang. And so there's a quote from the movie Moneyball that says, the first guy through the wall always gets bloodied. And collectively, we are the first ones through the wall. We are the ones that are showing up getting bloodied because we didn't have the way showers before us. We are the way showers. We are the ones coming here, figuring it out, and not having the parents and teachers and mentors who could identify our sensitivities or help us navigate or know, uh, you know, give us the tools to guide us um, to live a healthy life from the beginning. You know, we, we had to go through a number of decades of being codependent and taking on everybody else's stuff and being a doormat or, you know, whatever your particular experience was to get to the point of um, becoming conscious 
that we are an empath. And so I believe that there are more and more of us showing up every day and that, you know, some point in the future, hundreds or thousands of years, empath won't even be a word because it'll just be what we all are. Right. Well, I, lo- I like that, the, the first one through the wall. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> you like, um, you keep drawing these visual images in my head. Um, you know, and and thank God that um, this first wave of people through the metaphorical wall, that we have the Internet so we can have conversations like this. We have mm-hmm. global communication. We have um, books and, and, and whatnot to bring us all up together. I mean, if we tried to do this several hundred years ago mm-hmm. on, on a global scale, there wouldn't be any trees left because uh, it all have to be printed material because there'd be no internet, no telephone, <laughs> no no way to mm-hmm. share thoughts like we are right now so casually. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we've got a few minutes left. I want to know um, where are you going with this? Do you see another book coming down the pike? I have so many things in my head. I need three of me. <laughs> um, I, I do have a couple of other multi-author books um, that are out. So let me just start with The Evolutionary Empath. Uh, it is an, a gold award-winning book. Uh, it is an international bestseller. It has been published in its first foreign language. I have the Dutch edition uh, sitting by my desk and several other languages coming up. So it is, it is gaining traction. It is, it, it is resonating for people. It is making a difference. Uh, you can go to my website and purchase a copy. If you go there, you can get a copy that is signed as well as has a personalized inscription for you. Or if you'd prefer to go to Amazon or wherever, Goodreads, Barnes & Noble, I'm, I'm just happy for you to have the book. Um, the other two that I was speaking about that are multi-author books, one of them is called Chaos to Clarity, and the other is called The Ultimate Guide to Self-Healing, Volume 2. Both of those are also on my website where you can purchase copies. My website is bluestartemple.org. Um, I just handed off a few weeks ago my next project to my publisher, which is an oracle deck where I wrote uh, the card meanings as well as did the art. Um, so I'm very excited about that. I have more books in me, but I also have a lot of uh, products that go directly to my website that I'm working on. I have a video home study course called the Art and Practices Energetic Clearing. Uh, I have guided meditations. I have a manual and workbook on embodiment and I have many many more that I plan on developing so I you know what's important to me what I what I love doing is creating a variety of tools for people on their spiritual journey to to support them so um, there you will see many many more things from me in the coming years well very nice do you have a um, a modality like, for example, do you work with people one-on-one? Do you give workshops, mm-hmm. seminars, things like that? Yes, yes, and yes. Um, as I focus more on products, I'm seeing one-on-one clients less. And so 
Um, it doesn't mean I'm not working with them. It just means I have a limited number of slots in my calendar each month. Um, but I do one-on-one work. I also do workshops, live, in-person, um, internet. And, and, of course, with the pandemic, it's kind of forcing my hand where I've had to cancel all of my in-person stuff. Um, and I'm really having to try to focus on uh, shifting more to the, to the virtual format for a while. Very nice. So is there anything we've left out about your modality and your books and what you have to offer? Well, I, I think we pretty much covered it. Um, you know, just I'll just say a little more about if you want to work with me one-on-one, uh, I bring a lot of different tools and perspectives to the table. I am a shamanic minister. I am a Reiki master. I work very intuitively with people, so I'm a non-traditional therapist, if you want to think of, that, of it that way, or coach or healer. Um, so if, if that's your bag, then then I'm your gal. <laughs> well, I like that. Um, so do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, I know for me personally, it's really easy for me to be serious and a lot harder for me to be sort of lighthearted about things. And so I just want to tell people that some of this can feel very weighty. You know, like I even had one person give me some feedback that's like, I'm, you know, I have a cosmic mission to help humanity evolve to the next level of consciousness. That's pretty heavy. I don't know if I want to, you know, so it's like, you know, it, it doesn't have to be this heavy mantle. It doesn't mean you have to go start a nonprofit or start being a political activist or, you know, something that just, you know, makes your intestines liquefy. You know, you can, you can be who you are, where you are, being your authentic self, and that is enough. The fact that you exist is making a difference on the planet. Well, very nice. Well, Stephanie, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. I very much enjoyed this episode. Mm, Thank you so much, Les. We've been talking to Stephanie Redfeather, and the topic tonight has been the name of her book, The Evolutionary Empath, A Practical Guide for Heart-Centered Consciousness. I find the the book to be very well written. I recommend it. I think... uh, It's got a a lot of um, um, great content, and and it's presented, um, it's it's such a nice read. So if that resonates with you, I would encourage you to pursue that farther. You know, it is a curious time to be alive on the planet. And like I said in the beginning, our our souls chose us to come into this karmic tsunami and so often our egos can kind of dominate our our thoughts where the inspiration of our heart and our soul can't get a thought in edgewise because we're constantly staring at our phone we're constantly scrolling through social media but to to take a step back and 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 quiet yourself and ground yourself and and listen if you don't if you don't allow the the passion of your heart and the vision of your soul 
a place in your thought, so to speak, and your ego consumes all of your thoughts, it's, it, it's a much more challenging ride. But your, your soul has a map and your heart has a passion for you to live a, a powerful, dynamic, vibrant, fun, and happy life. If you, if you can make room for it in your own psyche, if that makes sense. My passion is to bring you shows like this to help you discover that deeper aspect of yourself, that that more powerful archetype, if you will, of yourself, so you can live a vibrant and happy life. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us tonight. Until next time. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast to bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.